0: Well, Pastor Mike, after that, I can hardly wait to hear what I'm going to (laughs) say. I hope that this is good. Last night, I told the folks about, well, first of all, I want to say a word about Pastor Mike. Unusual. I've listened to him on the radio, and I say to myself, this man not only is biblical, but he's willing to deal with the tough issues, and you folks may not know how privileged you are to sit under his ministry and to hear the word of God with such clarity and power. Let's give him a hand, all right? (laughs) Last night I told the story about this couple at Moody Church, not at Moody, oh, by the way, how many of you have never visited Moody Church? Could I see your hands, please? I have to say that that's very scary, because it's not necessary to visit Moody Church to go to heaven. But why take a chance? There's this couple in Chicago. They are out for their 40th wedding anniversary. Each was 60 years old. An angel appeared to them and said, what would you like for your anniversary? The wife said, I've never traveled. The angel flashed a sword and in her hands, were two tickets for a world cruise. It was the man's turn. He took the angel aside and said, you know, I'd really like to be married to somebody who's 30 years younger than I am. The angel flashed his sword and instantly the man was 90 years old. (laughs) Be very careful what you ask for. (laughs) Specificity is important. What a delight it's been here to be here this weekend, to be Friday night, to be here to see the radio ministry and all of these ministries. Tomorrow, I fly back to the great city of Chicago, as I often say, the city of righteousness, love, and truth, and justice that you hear about on the news all the time. (laughs) And uh, if I lived closer Your pastor and I would spend a lot of time together connecting, and so I so much appreciate, Pastor Mike, you having me here this weekend. But I'm here to speak about the topic of how to survive a storm, because even though I don't know you personally, I do know this. Some of you may be in a storm, some of you about to go into one, and some of you have just come out of that one. And all of us have storms, sometimes health issues. By the way, speaking of storms, and one of the reasons I needed help coming up here that I've told everyone this weekend is that I turned 80 years old recently. And um, you know, the good thing about old age is it doesn't last very long. (laughs) And so, you know, you have those kinds of storms, you have other kinds of storms, some of you, health issues, yes, economic issues relational issues, some of you may be going through a divorce, life is filled with storms. And I believe that what I have to share today is going to help you manage that storm with God's help and the Word. Now I need to also emphasize that as I was thinking about this, I began to ask myself this question, would this sermon even help the Christians in Ukraine today? where you see such tremendous devastation, and for that matter, the Christians in Russia. It's been my privilege to preach in both countries and met many fine Christians on both sides of that border. Would these words be an encouragement to them? Because if it won't be an encouragement to them, then I really shouldn't preach it to us. A pastor in the Ukraine was asked whether or not he was going to leave. In light of the war, and he said, no, he said, if the church is not relevant during a time of crisis, the church is not relevant during a time of peace. And America doesn't have that kind of crisis, but let me tell you, we have our own crises, and the crisis is huge. I believe that it is not only dark in America, it is getting darker. A number of forces are coming together and I am not too optimistic about what things are going to happen in the future. George Orwell tells the story of doing something that it was very mean to a wasp. He was eating outside and a wasp came, sat on his plate and began to eat his jam. Orwell took a knife and cut the wasp in half, and the wasp kept eating jam. As a matter of fact, Orwell says, I could see the jam through his, going through his esophagus. Only when the wasp attempted to fly did it realize the trouble it was in. I was even listening to some of the news here for a few minutes at least, and I realized that we are in huge trouble, a number of forces coming together. The question is, how will we survive the storm? By the way, one of the reasons I have interest in the Ukraine is my parents were born there. They were Germans. But Russia in those days invited Germans to come to the Ukraine, but during World War I they became refugees. My father's family went to Afghanistan, his mother, my grandmother died there, his brother died the next day. He was born in 1902, so he threw himself across the bed, he was maybe 14 years old and thought he'd never stop crying. My mother's family goes to Siberia, same thing happens. are both born in the Ukraine, but they don't know each other. They come to Canada in about 1923 and they meet in a little church in Saskatchewan, Canada. Now, you have to understand, Saskatchewan, I was born on a farm there, so flat that you can stand on a can of shoe polish and look halfway into next week, all right? (laughs) And they came there and they met in a little church. My father had been previously converted, but my mother came to saving faith in that church. And he asked if he could walk her home a half mile to where she worked on the way. And I always say young people shouldn't listen to this now. On the way, first date, he asks whether or not she will marry him. She said she'd have to think about it, but within three weeks they were married. They lived together for 77 years. My father died at 106, my mother died at 103. I always say that my parents lived so long that I'm sure until my father died, all of their friends in heaven thought that they just didn't make it. You know, they said, where are the Lutzers? But the Lutzers made it. And I believe that my own ministry is still a product of their prayers. Well, I'm going to invite you to take your Bibles now as we talk about navigating storms and go to Matthew chapter 14. Matthew chapter 14, and I know that many of you don't bring your Bible, but you have it on your cell phone, just like this young man up here, and that's fine. And, uh, you know, whether or not it's on your cell phone or your iPad or whatever, I like to point out to young people especially, and some of you are young, some of you are a little bit older, that this actually is a Bible. This actually is a Bible. Do I have a witness that this is a Bible? Matthew chapter 14, Jesus has just performed a great miracle, and then we pick it up in verse 22. Immediately he made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. And after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up to the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. But the boat by this time was a long way from the land, beaten by the wind, waves, for the wind was against them. Is there someone here today who says, that's me, the wind is against me? A number of currents are taking place, and if it's not this, it's that. It may be all the things that we've listed. If the wind is against you, you you're in the right place worshiping in the right worship center today, because I believe we're going to be encouraged. Now, Jesus is going to ask the disciples to go alone. He's going to go to the mountain to pray. And it reminds me of how a mother bird kind of shoves her babies out of the nest and lets them be alone, but never stays too far away. Rebecca and I live actually in a condo in Chicago, as I frequently mention, close to O'Hare Field, great big huge jets come over our house. In fact, one day I was walking from the dining room to the bedroom and a flight attendant told me to sit down. (laughs) But in this condo we have a little balcony, and on the balcony, on a brick wall, and it was this way when we purchased it, there was a planter for plants, but we've never planted anything. It has a little bit of straw, and every spring doves come and they lay eggs in that nest. And so it's a privilege for us to watch the little ones grow. And this past spring there were two eggs, only one hatched, but this little one, would then sit on the edge of the planter, flap its wings, but be afraid to fly. Mother and father would fly away and coo and encourage him. And finally, of course, he flew and he fell, you know, he fluttered to the uh, floor of the balcony and uh, mother and father came and fed him and took care of him. In the very same way, Jesus is saying, there is a time coming when I'm not going to be with you physically and you have to get used to it. You go into that boat and you go to the other side. And now Jesus goes to the mountain to pray and now begins seven lessons that help us in our storms. And as I've told all the people to whom I've preached this message that you should take notes, I finally got a chance to look at your bulletin and discovered that they're written out for you are there's space and you can write down the seven lessons and some other things that you should write down. Take them home, type them out, laminate them, put them on your fridge. If you don't need them today, you're going to need them tomorrow because storms are on the way. With that intro... Let's begin. Lesson number one is simply this, that storms are often encountered in obedience to Christ. They are often encountered in obedience to Christ. Let me ask you this question, were the disciples in the will of God in this storm? Of course they were. Jesus said, get into this boat and go to the other side. Could anything be clearer? Wouldn't you like it if Jesus came out of heaven and told you exactly what he wanted you to do? But in obedience to Christ, in obeying their, his command, they encounter one of the greatest storms that they ever encountered on Galilee. And in the middle of it, as the wind swept down, they worked against the wind, but the wind was against them and they could not make it to the other side. Right in the middle of God's will and you know God's will oftentimes involves storms just because you're in a storm today doesn't mean that you're out of God's will God may have you exactly where he wants you because the path of holiness is often not a path with beautiful little flowers and a very smooth path sometimes the holiest path is the most difficult the most troublesome path right in the middle of the will of God. Yesterday afternoon as I was going over this, I was reminded of the fact that the Bible says that it is the Holy Spirit that drove Christ into the wilderness. In other words, Jesus was in his own storm, confronted by the devil, of course, driven there by the Holy Spirit. To put it as clearly as I can, this storm was appointed for the disciples by God. So just because you're in a storm doesn't mean that you're out of God's will. You may have left Chicago to get a job here in California. You ran into some trouble, and uh, you say to yourself, I must be out of God's will. Not necessarily at all. You can even have trouble in your marriage and still have, quote, married the right one. My wife had to stay home because of a wedding. I explained to the bride and groom I couldn't be there for the wedding, but I said, I'll give you some marriage counseling. And I gave it to them in a single sentence. Marriage is two people solving problems together that they'd have never had if only they'd stayed single. (laughs) But just because you're in some trouble doesn't mean that you're out of God's will. And by the way, it would have been safer for the disciples to be on that boat in God's will, in obedience to Christ, than they would have been if they had stayed on dry ground. There's a second lesson, and that is this, that storms should remind us of God's promises. Storm should. You say, well, where's that in the text? When Pastor Mike preaches, you always have your finger in the text, and you notice that it's in the text. You say, well, where does it say... Where is the promise here? Well, look at it more carefully. He asked the disciples to get into the boat and go before him to the other side. Now if the Creator of the winds and the oceans tells you to go to the other side, you will make it to the other side, thank you very much. If they had listened to the words of Jesus Christ very carefully, they could have enjoyed that storm because they would have known Jesus said, we're going to the other side, we'll make it to the other side. In other words, to put it clearly, there was no chance that this boat would drown. After all, on it was John, who hadn't yet written his book of John, nor the epistles of John. Peter was on that boat, God still had a purpose for him, and so uh, God uh, had actually chosen most of these disciples. They would die a martyr's death, and so their work wasn't finished. And I like to emphasize that there is no combination of, de- of demons and evil people who can put us to death if God thinks that there's still work for us to do. And by the way, speaking about that, I always like to tell people, you know, if you're to be hung, you'll never drown. In other words, the purposes of God will be fulfilled. Now, when it comes to COVID, for example, if COVID is out of God's hands then we are out of God's hands. Now, having said that, we take precautions. We are not trying to say that you should simply uh, commit to fatalism, whatever God wants. No. My wife and I, during COVID, for example, we wore masks, especially as we flew on airplanes. And I brought a mask with me, and I I brought it to show you because this mask is way beyond n 95 My wife bought it on the internet, and I won't tell you how much she paid for it. This mask is so good that it even filters out the oxygen. (laughs) I wore it for a half an hour and had to sit down. because. So we take precautions, (laughs) but at the end of the day, we are in God's hands. Now you say, well, what promises should we cleave to? You cleave to promises that are ours. It's not true that every promise in the book is mine, but there are so many promises given to us, and when the trials come, we go to the promises. For example, Romans chapter 8, who shall separate you from the love of Christ shall tribulation, distress, persecution, nakedness, total destitution, the sword, martyrdom, no, war, Does it separate believers from the love of Christ when even family members are killed? No, nothing, Paul says, separates you from the love of Christ. Nothing. Nothing on earth, nothing in heaven. Not even Putin can separate believers from the love of Christ. So what you do is you go to all the promises of God. Hebrews 13, verse 5 I will never leave you nor forsake you. In Greek, five negatives. I will no not leave you. I will no not forsake you. Five times, God says never, 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 never. And so we go to the promises of God. And by the way, for those of you taking notes, would you write this down? And there is a lady up here who is taking copious notes. My dear... In heaven, your head is going to be, your crown is going to be so heavy, your head will be tilted. But I want you to write this down. We live by promises, we don't live by explanations. If you're looking for explanations, you won't find them, but promises are plentiful. There's a third lesson, and it might be the most important for you today, and that is that even when we can't see Jesus, Jesus sees us. Let me ask you this question, could the disciples see Jesus up there on the mountain in the darkness? Of course not. Those of us who have been to Israel, we know that the whole Sea of Galilee surrounded by high hills, they're called mountains in the Bible, but uh, there's no way they could see Jesus in the darkness. They knew that he was going to pray, but they didn't know where. But even though they couldn't see Jesus, Jesus could see them. He knew the longitude and the latitude of their little boat. He knew the depth of the water. He knew the speed of the wind. He knew the strength of every board. He knew it all, and he could see them. And what we need to do is recognize that there are times in our lives that are so dark we can't see God. I've had times like that, you've had times like that. I was telling the folks that I played tennis with a guy by the name of Mark who's in heaven today. We played tennis together for 20 years, and I might as well throw this in, that tennis players sometimes make bad husbands and fathers because to a tennis player, love means nothing, okay? (laughs) Did somebody over here say terrible? (laughs) I think that was actually pretty good, really. (laughs) But here's the point. He was told that he had cancer, and he did have cancer. And later on, he told me about how he left the bedroom in the middle of the night, sat in the den, and he said, all faith just drained from my soul couldn't see God, couldn't even hang on to the promises of God. Everything drained away. Because there are times that are just that dark. And we don't see God, but God sees us, and when push comes to shove in life, as it so often does, it is more important that God see us than that we see God. And Jesus, who has his eye on the sparrow, continues to have his eyes on us even in the darkness. And so what we must recognize is the fact that feelings are not facts. Your feelings may feel as if God has abandoned you. Some of you struggle with depression. You must get the reading of your true condition from the word of God, not from those internal feelings which oftentimes fluctuate. When we cannot see God, God still sees us. Well, let's go on to another lesson. The lesson is simply this, that Jesus comes to us at the right time. I'm in verse 25 now, and your Bibles are open. And in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, It is a ghost! And they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, Take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. He comes to them, four o'clock, the darkness. When things were as dark as they could possibly get, when the disciples were totally exasperated, they had been toiling all night, rowing, weary, and getting nowhere. Jesus shows up. You know that uh, Jesus comes to us at the point of desperation. One of the reasons that we don't have a lot of people in prayer meetings is because we are not yet desperate. It is desperate people who pray, and in this desperation, God comes to us because at last, we recognize the end of our own resources, we recognize, excuse me, the, the end of our own strength, and in that, We then commit ourselves to God and finally cry out to Him. He is the just in time God. You remember, Abraham was willing to sacrifice Isaac, and the knife was gleaming in the sun, and God said, No, don't do it, Abraham. And there was a ram caught in the thicket just in time. Point of desperation. Rebecca and I know a woman who worked in a brothel, and she used to pray, God, get me out of here. But he never did. Until one time, she was so overcome by what she was doing and the grief that it was bringing and the emotional turbulence. She got on her knees and she prayed and said, God, either get me out of here or kill me, but do one or the other. And she meant what she prayed, and that was the day that she walked free desperation. Four o'clock in the morning. It's dark. Some of you are there. And God shows up in our desperation. And some of you need to cleave to God right now. So in the moment that we are desperate and we're in a storm, we stop trying to hang on to our last bit of driftwood And we go to the captain of the ship because we are desperate. There's a fifth lesson. Our fears might be Jesus in disguise. Our fears might be Jesus in disguise. I read it just a moment ago. You'll notice that Jesus comes to them walking on the water, and they are afraid, and they shout and say, It is a ghost! They become afraid because they don't recognize that Jesus is the one who's coming to them. But mark this well, the wind that brought them the storm is the wind that brought them Jesus. But they didn't see Jesus in the storm. They thought it was some kind of a ghost, some kind of an apparition, and the Bible says they were afraid. And you and I must recognize that Jesus Christ comes to us. By the way, in the Gospel of Mark, It's very interesting. Parallel passage, Mark summarizes it somewhat, but it says that Jesus made as if he would go further, as if he was going past them. He wanted them to recognize him, but they didn't. And so he shouted out to them, it is I, do not be afraid. But Jesus came to them in that storm, but they never recognized him. And Jesus often comes to us in our storms, but... We don't recognize it, at least at the beginning. We may recognize Satan, and Satan may be involved, but at the end of the day, Jesus is the one who's coming to us. But we don't see it, do we? Rebecca gave me an article which uh, was written by a couple who were given by God a special needs child. Now when the baby was born, you know, they ask all those questions. Why us? What did we do wrong? And on and on it goes. And um, all of the misgivings because both of them had jobs and now God gives them a baby that needed their attention 24-7. They didn't see God in that. They didn't see Jesus. But this article was now written 14 years later. The child was 14 years old. And they said, we did not recognize that Jesus was coming to us in that baby, because that baby made us reorientate our values to understand what life is all about, to expose our own selfishness. God came to us in that child. We don't recognize it, though, do we? You know, my friend Mark, a couple of weeks before he died, I said, Mark, have you ever thanked God for your cancer? Oh, he said, I thank him every day. Now, you must understand that he had a lovely wife and children that he left behind. He said, but I thank God every day. He said, heaven to me used to be theoretical, but now, he said, it is very real. But I can tell you this, when he was told he had terminal cancer, I can assure you that he was not thanking God for it. When he and I were still able to play tennis after we were finished, he'd sit down and cry, and I'd sit beside him and cry and try to encourage him and pray with him. He sure didn't see God then, but now he did. And here's another line for you to write down, very important. In acceptance, there is peace. In acceptance, there is peace. Don't strive with God. Who are you that you and I should strive with him? We let our request known to him. But ultimately he makes the decisions and it is so important for us to recognize that Jesus is coming to us. Just yesterday as I was rehearsing these notes, it dawned on me that a good illustration of this is actually Paul's thorn in the flesh. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, he says, it's a messenger of Satan that came to buffet me. Now you would think that all that Paul had to do is to rebuke Satan, and then suddenly this thorn would leave. But that's not what happened. He cried out to God three times, three times God said no, but God then did answer and say, you're going to keep your thorn, but my grace is going to be sufficient for you. It's going to be all that you need. And what did Paul say later? He said, most gladly will I therefore glory in mine infirmities, that the power of Christ may rest upon me. So the Apostle Paul now saw God in his thorn in the flesh. He didn't see that immediately, but Jesus comes to us in disguise. Well, there's another lesson that we can learn, and that is number six. The water that threatens to be over our head is under his feet. Stop to think of it. What is it that the disciples feared? Well, of course they feared drowning. They feared the water, but... Jesus is walking above the water. He's walking above the water as if he is walking on a marble floor with total, unquestioned authority. He was not overcome by the waves, he was not threatened by the wind. He walks as King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And I want you to see Jesus today above your storm. He is, after all, Lord and King. He's even God over the nations. He is in control. The book of Daniel makes it clear. God sets up some rulers and takes down others, and sometimes he delegates his responsibility to evil people, as all of us know, in the political process and in other situations. And and Jesus, though, always maintains his sovereignty. You remember Nebuchadnezzar, a very proud man, You know, is not this the great Babylon that I have built? And God humbled him. He was with the animals for, if I remember correctly, about seven months. And then he said, at the end of the day, my understanding returned to me. Sanity is actually understanding who God is so that you can understand who you are. At the end of the day, my understanding returned to me and I blessed the Most High and praised and honored him who lives forever and ever, whose dominion is an everlasting dominion and whose kingdom is from one generation to another, and he regards all the inhabitants of the earth, his kingdom is from one generation to another, and none can stay his hand or say unto him, what doest thou? Can you visualize Jesus today above your storm? Even that nasty divorce. I want you to see Jesus walking on that which you fear. Jesus above your storm. Jesus even above COVID. I mentioned it earlier, but um, during the COVID crisis, we had some friends die. I'm thinking of a young man, 43 years old, left a family and children behind. You say, well, what sense does this make? Well, as I mentioned earlier in this message, if COVID is out of God's control, then we are out of God's control, that above all these things, I want you to see Christ. Paul said in Ephesians chapter 1, Jesus is above every principality and every power and every name that is named, both in this world and in the world to come. Jesus, King of kings, he's walking on the water. He's walking above that which you fear. Jesus has no fear of what you are going through. Number seven, our ability to walk now depends upon the focus of our eyes. I'm in verse 28. Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. And he said, come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus, but, huh, when he saw the wind, when he saw the wind, he was afraid and beginning to sink. He cried out. And I like to emphasize that we as pastors sometimes give long pastoral prayers. We begin with heaven and work our way down to earth. But you know, when you're drowning, you don't have a lot of time to pray a long prayer. Three words Lord save me and immediately Jesus stretches out his hand and pulls Peter up now if you had had a cell phone as all of us do and you were taking a picture of what was happening for a few moments two people would have been seen walking on the water there's Peter getting out of the boat and he's walking on the water and he's going toward Jesus And he also is experiencing the same authority as Jesus. He's looking at Jesus. And as long as he was looking at Jesus, he was able to walk. But he saw the wind. Let me ask you a question. What was Peter's greatest problem? Was it the depth of the water? Was it the height of the waves? Was it the speed of the wind? No, all those things are under the control of the sovereign Christ. That was not his biggest problem. His biggest problem was lack of faith. Oh, ye of little faith, Jesus said to him, why did you doubt? Why did you doubt? He saw the wind. And that's my problem, and that's your problem. How long do you think it took before Peter began to sink when he looked at the wind rather than Jesus? I don't know, a matter of seconds. You can leave this meeting today, you can get into your cars, and you can drive home, and all that you see is the wind. Even though we try to put our focus on Jesus Christ, all that you see is the wind. Just like Peter, he saw the wind, and that's your problem. It's my problem, seeing the wind. Now, sometimes we, as preachers, are a little hard on Peter, you know, because he sometimes spoke. He was the first one to speak, and yada yada yada. We go on, and I've heard preachers say, you know. If only Peter had kept his eyes on Jesus, he could have walked across the whole lake, which he would have been able to do, to go to Jesus, however long it took. But let's give the guy credit for getting out of the boat. You know, whenever you do something great for God, you have to take reasonable risk. There is no chance that those other guys were going to drown because they stayed in the boat. But he was willing, because he really did love Christ, he was willing to, once Jesus said, come, he was willing to get out of the boat and say, hey, I'm doing this. And we should give him credit for doing that. Some of you have never greatly failed because you've never tried anything great. You've stayed only within your own comfort zone, and that's all that you know. I like to tell people that a wet Peter is better than a dry Thomas. (laughs) So there's Thomas in the boat. I'm dry, thank you very much. Well, thank you, Thomas. I'm glad that you are. Peter's wet, but let's give him credit for getting out of the boat. And your greatest problem and my greatest problem will always be faith. I asked my friend Mark Waltz before he died, I said, how do you keep your eyes on Jesus? He went over to a drawer and he pulled it out and he showed me laminated a couple of pages of paper with 100 promises. He said, immediately I go to the promises. That's the way you keep your eyes on Jesus when you're going through a storm and he kept his eyes on Jesus all the way to the finish line. Your greatest temptation and mine is to see the wind. Now let's read the rest of the story. And when they got into the boat, who's the they? Well, Jesus is joining them in the boat. He's going to go with them to the other side. When they got into the boat, the wind ceased, and those on the boat, they worshipped him, saying, truly you are the Son of God, which is the bottom line in all of our storms, is that ultimately we might be better worshipers of Jesus. And our storms should lead us to worship him. So they are in the boat now, and they make it to the other side. And on the other side, there's work for them to do. They're going to be doing ministry on the other side. And just like on the other side of your trial, there's something for you to do, someone you can bless. Now, there's some of you who are like Jonah. You say, Pastor Lutzer, this is all great stuff, but... I'm in the storm of my own making. You remember Jonah was asked to go in one direction, he deliberately went in the other, and uh, he ended up in a storm that God created. And you say, well, that's me. I messed up and I'm in a storm, but it's my fault. All right, it was Jonah's fault that he was in that storm. So what did God do? God, of course, the Bible says he prepared a fish This was not just one regular fish off the assembly line. This was actually a special fish that swallowed Jonah. And if you read chapter 2, like I did yesterday afternoon, you'll find that Jonah repents. He acknowledges the sovereignty of God. He acknowledges the fact that he's messed up. He ends the prayer by saying, everything that I promised you, I'm going to repay. I'm going to keep my vows. I'm here now, I'm yours. And that's why... Your little boat is being crashed against the shore, against the rocks. Because God is saying, you know, it's time for you to cry up in repentance. And there may be repentance, there may be restoration that you have to be involved in. It's time for you to face the music. I'm bringing you to repentance so that I can bring you help. And God, who is able to help us manage the storms of life, over which we have no control, he is willing to help those who are in a storm of their own making just as much as he is willing to help those who are in a storm is, that was made for them by others or circumstances that were beyond their control. You must understand that God is the master of storms, and no matter where you are at today, if in desperation and faith you call upon him, He'll get into your boat and help you make it all the way to the shore. Tony Evans is a great preacher. He's also a friend of mine. I verified this story with him. A number of years ago, he and his wife Lois, Lois is in heaven today, if you know that, but uh, they were on a cruise. And over the intercom came the words that we're headed into a storm. Please uh, buckle up. And Lois didn't like it. She Tried to call the captain, spoke to his assistant, and said why don't we just put down anchor, stay here, and then later we can resume the journey after the storm. The assistant said I'll talk to the captain, I'll get back to you. The assistant calls back and says "Um, the captain would like me to tell you this, and I'm sure that was said very kindly and very gently, (laughs) but first of all he's in charge and you're not. That's true. But then the captain said this, and this is something again that you should write down. Are you ready to write it down? Are you ready to remember it before you die? The captain said, Tell her that this ship was built with this storm in mind. And when you and I trust Jesus Christ, was crucified died on the cross was raised again taken to heaven to glory he died came to earth was raised with our storm in mind the storms of our mess the storms of our sin he had all that in mind and he is adequate to forgive us and to take us all the way to the other side of the lake we have a captain of a ship that no matter how strong the wind he is lord he is king and he'll lead us all the way now I should have mentioned this at the beginning of the message I forgot to but now I'm mentioning it we're going to give our storms to God some of you are going to leave here lighter than you came Because the weight that is on your shoulders, the weight of your storm, the anxiety. I had a woman at Moody Church who told me, Pastor, you said that we shouldn't worry, but if I stopped worrying, I'd have nothing to think about. (laughs) My mind would be a total blank. I mean, what would I think about morning to evening? That's all that I do is worry. So this is not something that can be done just in a very short prayer, but we're going to begin with a short prayer an opportunity for you also to pray. But first of all, I want to tell you a story. My wife and I have frequently flown to Germany. As a matter of fact, we're going to fly to Israel, and uh, I think we have tickets for United Airlines to Frankfurt, and from there to Tel Aviv. Now, let's suppose that we're on this flight to Frankfurt, Germany, on United Airlines. And uh, you have to use your imagination here, pretend that security is not an issue. But after we begin crossing the ocean, I say to a flight attendant, would you check to see if the pilots are awake? (laughs) You know? She is able to go and go through the door and see the pilots, and she comes back and says, yes, they're awake. A little while later, about an hour later, I say, you know, I've known people who have fallen asleep in an hour. Would you check to see if the pilots are awake? And she checks and comes back and says, Yes, they are awake. And then later I'm embarrassed, but we're talking about when does this plane land in Frankfurt and how often do you make this run and so forth. And then I'm saying, Now that we're talking, would you go check to see if the pilots are awake? And she becomes very exasperated, and says to me, let me make a deal with you. I'll pour you a cup of coffee if you promise to just step outside and drink it. <laughs> and then she says, you are insulting the pilots of American uh, of United Airlines, and I would be. I would be. Look into my eyes just for a moment because I want to tell you this. You and I insult God virtually every day. We give him something and then we say, well, have you done anything with it? Are, are you, have you fallen asleep? I mean, I prayed for this kid, this child of mine that's in the world, and I don't see anything happening. Are you awake? And we keep trying to wake God up to the reality. Instead of committing ourselves to God in total commitment, and then later when it wants to come back on our shoulders, affirming the fact that, uh, you know, it's not coming back because I affirm the fact in praise to God that he's the one now who's bearing this because it's from my shoulders onto the shoulders of one, the governments of the world shall be upon his shoulders so he can handle what I can't, and I'm transferring the burden To him, and from now on, I'm going to live a life of praise rather than constantly receiving back my worry and my anxiety. After all, the Bible says, casting all your care upon him, he cares for you. Give God everything. Yesterday evening, I mentioned something that one of the women pointed out to me, so I'll say this here. Women... Why don't you just give your husband to God? You haven't been able to change him, have you? I could have many testimonies about that. The Chinese have a proverb that says that no matter how long you cook sand, it never becomes rice. Why don't you ask God to change him? Say, Lord, I give my husband to God what I'm doing isn't working, and of course it may work the other way too with wives and their husbands. Give those wayward children to God. Trust him and give him praise. Look beyond what they are doing and see God. Look beyond the sin and the rebellion and see God and give those children to him and give God thanks. Thanks that they are now in his hands. Are you ready to pray? Bow your head in prayer. I'm going to pray briefly, and then we're going to have silent prayer to give you an opportunity to begin the process of giving your storm to God, and then I will close. Father, I want to thank you so much for these dear people who have come out today. I also want to thank you for those who are listening to this message, and... uh, They've never received you as Savior. Their little boat is being smashed against the rocks. And, Father, I pray that they might call out to you in desperation for forgiveness, for restoration. I pray, Father, that they might have the grace to be able to give you their storm. And for those who know you as Savior, we thank you that you care about us. We ask in Jesus' name. Grant us the ability to make that transfer from our shoulders to yours, to trust you with our future, with our darkness, with our discouragement, and our pain. Now, would you talk to God? Would you tell him and list the storms that you want to give to him and transfer to Him. You talk to Him if He's talked to you. Father, I pray especially for those who are struggling. People who have uh, borne their burdens so long, trying to manage the storm, May they see Jesus Christ walking toward them in that storm. May they see him as sovereign, as Lord and Captain, and bring deliverance, even as I prayed this morning, that many people would experience a new deliverance, because you are, after all, the king of our storms. Help us, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen. ��어야지 mm-hmm.